0: Hi, my name is Erica, and this is Story Sanctuary. Story Sanctuary is a space for NICU parents to process and share their stories as a form of healing. Each episode features a different family's birth story. And today, we're joined by LaTanya. LaTanya, where does your story begin? Every time someone asks me
1: that question, it is overwhelming, I must admit because it's more so where do i begin right
0: mm-hmm.
1: um my journey started pretty textbook in newlywed married wanting the dream relationship dream family and as a young woman college i would always picture my future being one boy, one girl, if not one boy, one girl, at least multiples because everyone in my family has multiples from my grandparents having nine siblings, my grandmother's 17, grandfather nine, Whoa. and my mother having three other siblings and just both sides being so big. I just, I just knew that that would be what legacy I carried. And so that is definitely where it begins in coming into my journey, finding out I couldn't get pregnant. <laughs> so that is what I would say the first chapter would be of my story is trying and trying and trying and then finally understanding like, wait, this is not as easy as TV would make it seem or movies would make it seem of getting pregnant, right? And so went to the infertility doctors, both my husband and I, and he was checked out. The details of that, right? Sperm count, healthy, not healthy, things like that. And he was a hundred percent fine. So then it dawned on me like, it's me, a girl from a big family. It's me. And so from there, um, continued on that discovery piece, right? Like getting medical attention, seeking that information on what it is, where that disconnect is, and then where do we go from there? And um, from there, what I found out is that I had fibroids, and extremely common, and, but the thing is conversations aren't had, right? And there's so many, now there's so many books and conversations being had about the silence of family ailments and family disease that's passed down, but the conversations are not there. So fibroids, and that's where I find out that was preventing me from getting pregnant And um, the fibroids were massive. They told me the largest one was about softball size down to the size of a pea. and, um, And that's where we were. And so that was 2015, I found that out. And so 2015, I was just under the impression that I couldn't get pregnant. It's just my husband and I and... We called them meatballs. And so <laughs> I called my five boys meatballs and he hated it. Like it grossed him out so much. <laughs> and so it was just the two of us in the meatballs. And so that was going to be the end, right? And then we'll just continue our love story in just a different way until the fall. I would say the fall, winter of 2016 thinking it was my fibroids, I go into work. And so at that time I was teaching sixth grade. And so I'm going into work, normal strut, normal good day, walking in, saying hi to the front office, saying hi to my principal because her office was still on the first floor, right by the front office. I'm in the doorway talking to her and I pass out cold, flat out, face on the floor, pass out. I don't know how long to this day, I don't know how long I w- was out and I wake up, what I do remember is I wake up and I had the worst pain I've ever experienced. In dealing with fibroids, those who have experienced fibroids, there's some intense pain that comes with that already. But even on top of that, this was the worst pain I have ever dealt with, and so wake up. I'm in a chair. Principals on one side, our nurses on the other side, and they're waking me up, asking me my, if I'm okay, asking me to describe the pain. And I'm like, I'm again. I'm thinking it's fibroids. I'm like, it has to be my fibroids. Like, and I'm telling them I have these crazy amount of fibroids in my stomach and my abdomen, in my uterus, out of my uterus. Um, My vaginal canal, even like if I can, you know, just be open and transparent, like they were everywhere. And so I'm thinking something busted, like one of my meatballs got squished, had to have something happen. (laughs) And so um, they're like, okay, we're going to call your husband, either to come get you or go straight to the emergency room, you choose. I chose for him to come pick me up so that I can have someone there with me, someone close to me who knows everything about my health situation. We get there and of course, good old hospital ER waits, right? And so we're waiting, we're waiting. The pain kind of subsides and the date is November 17th. What's so significant about November 17th is one, My birthday is November 28th. And so I remember it being 11 days before my birthday Two, what's so significant about November 17th is I was scheduled to have a hysterectomy December 15th. So over winter break that we usually get every year, I plan to have a hysterectomy because years after trying multiple doctors saying I couldn't get pregnant due to the fibroids, I've accepted that. The journey of accepting that was difficult in and of itself. And so I finally got to a place of accepting that I would never have children of my own body. And so December 15th, 2017, I was on the books to have a hysterectomy. Back to November 17th, I'm in the ER, I'm waiting you know, to see what's going on. And so now, mind you, I'm on a bed. I'm not in a waiting room or anything because the pain was so severe when I came in. First doctor comes um, and he says, you say it's fibroids, but is there a possibility you could be pregnant? And I'm like, no, no. The doctors told me I can't get pregnant. I have a hysterectomy scheduled December 15th. No, there's no possible way I could be pregnant. And my husband's co-signing. He's like, no, no, We've already tried. We've been down that road. And, you know, it's touchy. It's still touchy. And so he's like, no, not a possibility for us. It's not that fibroids. So he's like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to go, you know, run a couple tests. Let's go take a urine test. All that's so when I'm like, okay, do that. He comes back a second time. Um So we want to share some news with you. We're like, oh gosh, what happened? Like these fibroids, I'm bleeding internally, you know, all that WebMD type stuff and true TV, TV shows start coming into mind. Like, oh gosh, there's going to be a weird case of something growing inside of me. But the thought I could be pregnant never crossed my mind. Because again, I've accepted that I could not get pregnant. And so he tells us, you're pregnant. The thing that is funny, looking back on that now, is we were still in denial. (laughs) You're like, no, I don't think that's what's going on. (laughs) And so we're both like, no, no, that's not possible. I can't. Like, I can't. He's like, no, you know, don't do that to her. Like, is there another test that you can kind of see? Can, you know, we get an MRI or something and all that thing. We're like, no, you can't be. He was like, okay, like, well, then let's go get a blood test so you can see. They take my blood, disappear for some more minutes. This time, my doctor comes to see me. At this time, it's like 1030 at night. We've been there a long time. So my doctor, she comes in to see me and she said, so you took a urine test and they told you you were pregnant, but you didn't believe it. I'm like, Yeah, because I can't. Like, you told me I can't. Like, you're one of the doctors that said I can't. She said the blood test, one of our best tests to see pregnancy, came back positive. She's like, LaTanya, you're pregnant. When I tell you, I ugly cried all in (laughs) the hospital. Like, I didn't care. Who saw me? I didn't care who was around or heard me. I broke. I broke. I broke. I broke. And immediately my husband started calling everybody like, This is crazy. This is crazy. Like, we're pregnant. We're pregnant. Not thinking anything else, right? Not thinking of complications, not thinking of how after being told for so long, so many tests, not thinking of anything. Because all we hear is, I'm pregnant. And so, Still, you know, we're crying, we're crying, we're crying. And so then that's when they were like, let's go get you to an ultrasound because you're a lot further along than you even know. So get an ultrasound and we see baby. We see Mm -hmm. baby on the ultrasound. November 17th, I'm three months pregnant. Wow. (laughs) Three months pregnant. And again, it's wild because we caught it, that pain, my body caught it because the next conversation was if I were to lay down on that operating table, December, a month later, a month later, that baby would not have survived. They would have cut me open, saw baby, all of that, because I've already had all my scans done, test preparations done, all of that. And so the next time I was to be back was for surgery. And so... I cannot explain how thankful for just that moment I was. And so between November and February was the most painful months of my life. And so that pain I experienced November 17th was off and on until I had our baby girl. And it was because there wasn't room for her. So what would happen and what was happening is she was pushing and kicking fibroids out of the way so that she had space to move and grow. Mm-hmm. And so that was the pain that I was experiencing that had me pass out that day I found out I was pregnant. So even now, just talking about it, I think it is with women when we're told something completely opposite of what we expect our lives to be and what we dream and think and plan our lives to be, it's, it's life changing. And then to have that flipped again, completely opposite is, is borderline trauma. I would consider that emotional trauma, Like accepting I couldn't and then now accepting I can, it was, it was tough. It was tough to switch that mindset, that mind frame, because it was a while before I finally accepted it like I'm I'm pregnant after getting to the point of not. And um so that was that. So November, three months pregnant, February, um, and this is <laughs> even more drama, right? Like, I swear I could just write a lifetime show on this, but so February, another seven, right? So seven is just all up and down our lives. So 2017, February, Saturday, um, sitting at home with my sister and one of our friends comes over to braid her hair. I'm laying on the couch pregnant now. And so barely moving and I hurt. I hurt. I hurt. I hurt so bad. And I'm like, this is normal because this journey has been painful. I know it's baby. I know it's fibroids. I hurt. This is a Saturday. And I told them I'm going to go lay down. This is about 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning, similar, so parallel to the day I found out. And I go lay down and I don't get out of bed I don't get out of bed because the pain is so bad. I don't get out of bed to eat. I don't get out of bed to use the restroom. I'm dripping sweat. Saturday night, my husband is preparing for a work trip to Iowa. And so I'm like, don't stay, babe. We've been through this. We've been through this pain. Um, This isn't anything new. It's just another day of pain. Go on your trip. I'll be fine. The day you come back, I'll probably be better again the pain worsens overnight. Here's Sunday. Sunday, I'm hurting. Sunday, I'm hurting. And he's like, yeah, I'm staying. Like, this is too much. This is too long. Sunday night, um, I can't take it. I am dripping. I'm wet with sweat. I can't move. So as soon as, so he tells me, let's go get checked out. As soon as I step out of bed, all hell breaks loose. And I thought November, that pain was the worst. <laughs> I was officially in labor. So after the journey, I find out that I've been in labor since Saturday. I'm thinking it's fibroids again. And it's baby, right? Still accepting that I'm pregnant and it's not fibroids. And so get to the hospital. Um, they send me home. Um, it was It was not time yet. So I go home Sunday. And Sunday night, it gets worse again. Worse, worse. Dripping sweat, worse. I'm like, babe, this, something's wrong. Something is wrong. Like, we have to go back, and this time we cannot leave. So it's two something in the morning, two something in the morning. And we hop in the car to go back. Pain worsens, and my water breaks. Going back to the hospital in the car, my water breaks. <laughs> over and here comes baby on the side of 71 highway baby girl slides out mind you it's only been 25 weeks only 25 weeks and she comes out February so that February there was snow and ice outside I don't have a coat my water breaks I'm all wet I have nothing to wrap her in and my fear was She's tiny. I can fit her head to toe in two hands. And I was scared she wasn't going to make it. So he calls 911. I'm taking my shirt off to wrap her up. And I am trying to figure out what I could do to make sure she's okay. So I'm wrapping her up in my wet shirt. I'm wet, it's cold, it's freezing, ambulance comes, and they are literal angels. They kept me calm. They took her, um, wrapped her up in some more things and gave her right back to me and told me to just hang on to her, just keep her warm, hold tight to her, hold tight to her. And that is how Kelsey Mm -hmm. came into this world is at 25 weeks, we were in the NICU, until May 19th. So about three months while being in the NICU, not being able to take her home, um blood transfusions, um, heart murmurs, and not eating, and it just came with so much. And, and in all honesty, I'm still recovering. Like yeah. the girl's about to be four and I'm still recovering from the whole thing. The whole thing. But I am glad to say that she's here, she's healthy, and I couldn't be more excited, more proud to have one, just one. It's not the big family that everyone else has, but she's she's my one. And so I'm just so grateful, so grateful through the pain and all of it. To have my one. Looks just like me, acts just like her dad. Just
0: (laughs) Uh extremely
1: independent, so smart, so energetic. I couldn't ask for
0: more. When you all were in the NICU, were you working at that time?
1: Yes, yes. And um, I left early. So after I had her, went back to work. And I'm grateful that the relationships I had with my staff was really close and understanding. Um, And so they just said, you know what? Take the rest of the year off. Like, you've been through so much. Because they knew through everything. Women talk. They knew my journey. They knew my mind was set or not. They knew I had surgery scheduled because I wasn't going to be back in time after winter break, fully recovered. And so they were just like, take it, take it. So I want to say I was done with work about end of March. And so those last two months that she was in the NICU, I was able to just be there 24-7. Which NICU is she at? We were were at research, medical center, trying to get to KU. And so we stay out south and trying to rush past all those hospitals in between. We just didn't make it. And so the ambulance took us to the closest hospital, and that was research. And they were phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Research here in Kansas City had a bad rap for a long time, but I'm... I'm thankful for that team, that
0: NICU team. They were phenomenal. What do you think helped you survive that time?
1: Groups, groups of moms just like me. I was, there's a um, group on Instagram and it's a preemie group. And then I'm on still another app, um, Twitter. There were other, preemie moms on Twitter that I connected with and the constant encouragement. And being in those groups helped me realize I wasn't alone. My case, although in my world, in my circle was extreme and new and different, I wasn't the only one who experienced the same thing, fibroids, a premature baby, a winter baby. And so knowing I wasn't alone knowing there were other moms who experienced fibroids in 25 weekers. And there were moms in there who had 23 weekers in there. And I'm just like, I'm, I can't complain when it could always be worse. Cliche, but it could always be worse. And 23 weeks, I couldn't imagine because at 25 weeks, when I held her in two hands, she didn't have ears my baby didn't have ears. She didn't have anything developed. And so knowing that there were moms with so much strength, so much encouragement to keep going, helped me keep going. And so I'm like, okay, okay. They're right here with me. They're right here with me. And they would check on me like, Hey, Tanya, like this is week two. How are you holding up? You doing okay? Like Don't worry. They're going to probably stick her again. They're probably going to take her in for surgery again. But so did my little one. So did my little one. It's going to be okay. And so other moms who I've never met, that's what kept me going.
0: How much did she weigh when she was born?
1: One pound and 15 ounces. (laughs) A sweet potato. And that's where her nickname sweet potato comes from because... It wasn't more than a large sweet potato. And so when she was born, and the name stuck, so now everyone's like, how's sweet potato doing? How's sweet potato? I'm like, first off, this girl is eating more than a sweet potato, weighs more than a sweet potato.
0: (laughs) But yeah, one pound, 15 ounces. Wow. Your story is, it's like a movie. Yeah. And just the image of you on the side of the highway, holding her, just wrapped in whatever you can find is, man, I've talked to so many moms where that part is in the hospital. And th- so that scares me to think about doing that part, like not having an incubator right there, not having the team right there, but how she survived. She survived that. It's powerful. Most definitely. I would I would even consider this
1: a survival story for the both of us. And like I said, the story is like a movie but the emotions and the mental capacity of it all was an extreme roller coaster. It's and I definitely sought out therapy afterwards because again, those extreme situations, those diagnoses, those results, the words of a doctor right? We trust our medical team. We trust those that look after our health. And so, like I mentioned before, being told one thing and then switched completely opposite. And even my doctor to this day, she's she's amazed. She said, I just don't know how, because there was nowhere where that implantation could happen except that one empty space. There was one empty space where fibroids were
0: not Mm -hmm. and she just landed (laughs) but that's so interesting that your doctor had never seen anything like that and was so surprised but from your experience through seeking out these groups you found other people that had gone through the same thing
1: yes yes and the majority yes women of color with the fibroid situation but fibroids Aren't new. And so that's another thing that I was extremely curious about is with her being an OB and um, her field, you know, she's not young, she's not new. I was surprised myself that she's never experienced, you know, my specific situation with pregnancy and fibroids. And so um, I thought that was interesting as well. But if I were to give anyone any advice experiencing fibroids and wanting to get pregnant, I would say, interview your doctor, interview your doctor and ask them, have they had experience with situations such as this? So if not, they can seek assistance, right? We're not know-it-alls no matter what our profession. And so I think if she was more aware of fibroids, of moms getting pregnant with fibroids, I think she probably would have guided me a little better and um, helped me on my end a little better as well. Yeah.
0: You mentioned this trauma being an ongoing thing. And of course, anyone that's had a long-term NICU stay understands that it doesn't just end when you walk out those doors how have you stayed supported over the last almost four years outside of the hospital?
1: Sure. Sure. Um, I study supported by reaching back and doing what was done for me. Um, now that I'm further along my specific journey, I stay attached to those groups, um, sending updates, receiving updates, and then any new moms that are experiencing this, Giving them that same encouragement keeps me going because I reflect. I'm like, oh, man, I know exactly how you feel. I've been there. I've done that. I felt that. And so that's what keeps me going. Like, tomorrow's better. Tomorrow will always be better, no matter how daunting today seems or feels like um, and what emotions surround our sight and our vision But staying connected to those supportive moms and now being an encourager on the other side, that keeps me reminding myself and reflecting that days always get better, despite some of them being
0: difficult and hard. Yeah. What would you say to a family that is maybe at the beginning of their long NICU journey to help them with their journey?
1: to feel those emotions, to feel them. Don't let anyone tell you or don't let anyone try to, it will be okay you out of feeling what you feel. And I think that was the best piece of advice given to me. That was the best piece of encouragement given to me like, hey, let's pause. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay for a moment to feel like, how did this happen to me? So one thing I would tell families is it's okay to feel those emotions because it's natural, unexpected, and reality, right? And so one, it's okay to feel those emotions. Two, find your source of encouragement. And that's that. Feel those emotions and find your source of encouragement. And that encouragement could be like mine from strangers, from complete strangers who have have experienced the same things you have. So those two-piece nuggets is what I would pass on to families starting.
0: Well, LaTanya, storytelling acts as a means of healing because it allows you to shift positions. So instead of your birth story being something that happened to you, you get to own the story and then decide what you want the lasting memory to be. What have you decided you want the lasting memory of your birth and NICU stay to be? Hope.
1: In a nutshell, hope. And I say that because no matter what anyone tells you, whether they're degreed, professional, been around situations similar or longer than you there's always still hope because your journey is your own your journey is specific to you and your journey is yours and no one else's so to continue to keep hope even if that journey that story looks different
0: than someone else's that's amazing I wanted to ask you another question um, that just came up because I'm really interested in mental health aspect of NICU stays for the parents during it and afterwards. And personally, I've done a lot of work with therapists and I'm just doing a lot of research to figure out what parents need. Mm -hmm. And um, you brought up feeling your emotions. That's been a really big part of my journey of learning because I didn't necessarily know that when I was there that Mm. it was okay to be scared and to cry and I'm still learning that now that to be vulnerable doesn't make you less strong and that you are in a scary situation and you you can go there it's whether or not you stay there that you want to work on but it's okay to go there you mentioned therapy what have you learned in therapy we're stronger than we realize and
1: you said something that's exactly what I've learned. Like, feeling those emotions doesn't make you any less strong. And so, one thing my therapist told me, and her name is Dr. Burke, her husband and her, they have a therapy clinic at St. Joseph Hospital. Um, they run their clinic separately, but they are both in the same um, location. And so, one thing she really had me think on is where are you strong at? Where are you strong at? And so, when I start to go through my journey and reflect, I'm strong because I was able to adapt. I was told something that many don't come back from. Many would divorce when they find out that they can't have kids. I'm strong. Our marriage survived. Another aspect is, even after the painful days of being pregnant, I'm strong because I kept pushing for my students. Even after having her in the car and not being able to take her home, I'm strong because I didn't miss one day of a NICU visit. Mm -hmm. And so reflecting on the moments in our scary emotional journey of where we are strong helps you look like, yo, that was scary. That was intense. But I I beasted that. I I really did. And so therapy slows you down because this stuff happens fast. (laughs) And doctors come at you fast. And those NICU stays, there's so much information coming at you fast. Therapy helps you to slow down and point out your strengths, point out how far you've come, point out what you've overcame. And once you start to process that side of the coin, you're like, whoa, hold on. This wasn't me being weak. This wasn't me being scared. Yeah, I was feeling those emotions, but yo, I'm pretty strong. I'm a beast. Like, this is good stuff. And so I encourage, even if it's temporary, I always encourage therapy for moms, dads, families, when you have long NICU stays so that you can be reminded of those moments of how well you're doing
0: and, and that it's okay, that it is okay. Yeah. Did research offer an opportunity for you all to see a psychologist or have any sort of mental health support? Um, Kay, you
1: did um, because that is... The hospital that I preferred for myself personally. Um, So, as far as going back and postdoc care and all that good stuff and getting checked out, evaluated, things like that, they definitely suggested um, going through my insurance to find therapy sessions. And they were open about it. They were like, Your experience is a form of trauma. Nick, you having preemies and you're unprepared. I don't think a lot of us are prepared for that. Mm -hmm. And so they genuinely told me like, this is a form of trauma, especially if you weren't prepared for any of this, like seek out therapy just to process it all. And they said, you don't have to stay when you, you know, when you feel like you're okay, you don't have to stay, but to process that many parts of everything that happens to us with NICU stays right like it's it's a lot and then everything we go home with after those NICU stays it's a lot Mm um I was scared to leave that's another piece of it like those nurses were family we still talk to this day and they were family I was scared to leave and so Having therapy to process that transition even after leaving,
0: I think is an important piece to have as well. It would be my dream that just as our kids are required to have checkups and to be followed by certain departments, that parents would also have that, because mm-hmm. you are when you're in the NICU, you are in a chronically stressful situation. No matter what you do, you're walking back every day into the same sort of stress, and it breaks down your mind, and it breaks down your body, and you need to do something about that, and hopefully over time, NICUs are a newer concept, Mm -hmm. so there is a lot of work being done on the side of the parents, but that is my dream in the next 10 years that that is a requirement for parents to be able to do that. And have that available. Most definitely.
1: That's man, that would be amazing. And even to add to that, personally speaking, it's always moms, right? I've talked even now this whole time about me. And then there would be moments where I pause, like, wait, how's my husband doing? How has he been processing this? Who has he been able to talk to? And so I agree a hundred percent like whole family care when it comes to NICU journeys, most definitely.
0: Mentioned being friends with the nurses. I thought that was funny when they send us home. They have rules that you're not supposed to really (laughs) fraternize with the staff, but it's like they literally saved our lives, they took care of our children. Mm -hmm. These people are connected to us for life, so (laughs) I understand that they don't want you to communicate and why they have to do that for business purposes, but it's also like this is it's you're taking care of families and it's such a sensitive area of people's lives that for, it would be insane if we were to just cut that off and never talk to these people again. Exactly. Exactly. And they've seen us, like you
1: said, at some of our weakest moments, our most vulnerable moments and rubbed my back. So I won't put anyone's name out there, but when we finally got to research the first thing they do was took Kelsey, rushed her to what all the procedures that she had to go through, finish, you know, doing what I needed to do. And I still wasn't able to hold her. I wasn't able to hold my daughter for seven days after I had her, not even touch her. And that was, that was for a couple of weeks. I was for a couple of weeks and it started wearing on me. I'm like, I have not touched the daughter, I didn't even think I could have. I haven't. And so there was a nurse, a night nurse. Shout out to the night team. <laughs> there was a night nurse. And she saw that I just I just couldn't take it. And she shut the door. And she said, don't mention this. And I'm sitting here like, what? Like, what? Like, don't mention what? Like, what are you talking about? She said, take off your shirt. You know, the whole kangaroo, all of the good cuddles and the warm cuddles. And she said, Okay. Here she comes. I'm like, wait, now, like, right now, like I can finally hold her right now. And she, she went out on the limb for me. And so that's, again, one of those situations that you were talking about, like someone who would risk their job for me. You're telling me I can't have a connection with? Nah, <laughs> nah. <laughs> so I'm like, oh yeah, I'm never mentioning you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And until this day, we're close, we're close. She did that for me. So yeah, some rules I feel are meant to be
0: broken. Yeah. And that's that. <laughs> I think these hospitals know it too. Because oh yes. Yeah, the sweet. staff have their little workarounds for <laughs> figuring out what's still going on with the kids outside of the hospital. So why couldn't you hold her at first? Is that a usual thing at twenty-five weeks? yeah temperature
1: regulation and so the cream is that 23 24 25 weeks you know that early um they can't regulate their own body temperatures or anything like that so they put them in these little bags and then all of the heat from these lights are on them um her heart also wasn't fully developed either. And so she still had a hole in her heart that wasn't fully closed. So there were a lot of understanding risks that um, have to be considered when wanting to handle a baby that new and that underdeveloped. Like I said, when I looked down at her in the car, it was just holes in her head. There weren't even ears, dude. Like, It was crazy. You could see right through her skin. Um, And my hands are small. My hands are small. And so to know, you know, the risks that these babies take being handled and being manipulated after the fact, I completely understood like, okay, I couldn't keep her and rubber against rough fabric. I couldn't keep her and jiggle her too much. Now I understand, but Then as a new mom, a first time mom, I'm like, uh, I don't care. I want my child. I want my baby.
0: (laughs) So, um, a lot of health precautions as to why. Okay. I knew of course that you couldn't touch him and really mess with him that early, but I thought that kangaroo care happened at 25 weeks, but not, not always. Not always. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing your story that aspect of hope in it is it's truly amazing just to think that no matter what happens when it comes to doctors and your medical team that there's always this extra I mean some people could call it like a god factor or yes for that to always be there that can be scary for some people but for me I see it as beautiful and hopeful you never know what could happen and what life is gonna that's exactly
1: it. If that were to be the bow on all of this of our time together, is you just never know what could happen.
0: It's <laughs> beautiful. All right, perfect. So you couldn't see in the beginning, but my mouth was fully just hanging open <laughs> when you were
1: describing. I like, I drink, like, I didn't expect to, and every time I tell it, it's just, and even at the house, we keep, like, right now, let me see. Every room has a picture of her from the NICU so that we never forget. Of course, you would never forget, but every room in the house, there's at least one picture of her. And so it's just like, it's still new. It's still, new. four years later, every time I talk about it, every time I share it, it's just like, this it feels new. It, it's still unbelievable. It's still unbelievable. And even last weekend, husband and I went out on a date and, you know, get my sister to watch. I'm like, babe, we have
0: a whole kid. <laughs> we have a kid. <laughs> and it's been four years later four years yeah because when is her birthday february 7th 27th okay Mm -hmm. wow yeah now that she's older do you talk to her about her NICU journey she'll see
1: pictures and she'll ask questions like mommy that's me i'm like yeah yeah she was like i'm little i'm little i'm like baby girl you have no idea (laughs) 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 yes you were little (laughs) you were little (laughs) And so I think when she sees these pictures, she's starting to see, you know, all these movies and cartoons. That that wasn't your story, babe. Like, and so um, she sees it. She notices it. I don't think, of course, she understands and processes the deeper and the overall and everything else. But yeah. she definitely sees
0: and notices it. Well, luckily for our kids, there are a lot more movies and books and just Things out there that are showing kids in NICUs or that have go home with medical equipment, Mm
1: -hmm. and so when we had brought her home, of course she was on her apnea machine, her oxygen tank, and we called it her tools, and we started to call her our little transformer
0: because we would pack all. Okay, you guys and your (laughs) ways of describing things.
1: we were like all right who's got the transformer i'll get the other stuff like let's get to it like <laughs> like we're packing for vacation but it's all a part of it man like it it's all a part of it and i i wouldn't trade it for the world and i always knew that so when we were having a hard time getting pregnant i would always say i i don't even care like i would love whatever i was able to produce and I've proven that to myself. I've proven that to myself. Like this girl's mine, like challenges and all this girl's mine. Mm -hmm. And so um, it definitely puts perspective on just how deep, I know people talk about it, just how deep a mother's love can go. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: it always used to kill me when I hear, you know, being a teacher I would hear parents say, these kids get on my nerves. Somebody need to take them. I don't want them. I'm like, are you for real right now? <laughs> are you like, do you not know? Do you not know? <laughs> like, And so, um, and again, that was a part of that difficult transition of acceptance too. Like accepting I couldn't. And then knowing there were kids at my school who were either homeless or abused or, you know, neglected. I'm like. I would take you right now in a heartbeat because I can't. And so um, perspective is is wild. It's
0: wild. <laughs> it is so wild. <laughs> yeah, that's something I treasure about ours. Of course, I wouldn't have wanted to go through this journey, but like you said, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like every little thing that happens with her, her saying a new word, we we can't take anything for granted. It just, which really is how life should be. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of been given this gift of perspective. That's it.
1: That is it. Oh my gosh, that is it. And so I feel we're, we're the lucky ones. We're the lucky ones. Our journey isn't easy. It's not easy, but we're doing it. We're doing it, Erica, you're doing it. And that in and of itself is what's amazing about it all. We're doing it. We're doing it.